0: Please pray with me. Lord, let him who has ears hear, and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Have a seat, please. For me, the Sunday after Christmas is a time for pondering, praising and proclaiming. In a sense, the big event has already happened. It's been celebrated with special music, liturgical extras, guests in our midst, although I see we have some guests today. Welcome. And the energy that only Holy Days can bring. Without all that buzz today, we have some time to reflect on the deeper truths of Emmanuel, or God with us, and like Mary, treasure all of these words and ponder them in our hearts. Several times throughout this sermon, I'm going to ask you to join together in proclaiming the gospel truth of who Jesus is by singing the refrain from What Child Is This, which was our opening hymn today, so it's in your bulletin. Over time, Christmas has become a day that, where families get together, and even a time that can cause wars to cease and mortal enemies to celebrate together. This year is the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. We remember that on or around Christmas Day in 1914, the sounds of rifles firing and shells exploding faded in a number of places along the Western Front in favor of holiday celebrations in the trenches and even gestures of goodwill between mortal enemies. On December 7th, 1914, Pope Benedict XV suggested a temporary hiatus of the war for the celebration of Christmas. The warring countries refused to create any official ceasefire. Nonetheless, on Christmas Day, many soldiers in the trenches declared their own unofficial truce. Starting on Christmas Eve, many German and British troops sang Christmas carols to each other from the trenches, across the lines, and at certain points, the Allied soldiers even heard brass bands accompanying some of the German troops. At the first light of dawn on Christmas Day, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches and approached the Allied lines across No Man's Land, which was the area between the trenches, calling out Merry Christmas in their enemy's native tongues. At first, the Allied soldiers feared it was a trick, but seeing the Germans unarmed, they began to climb out of their own trenches and shook hands with the enemy soldiers. The men exchanged presents of cigarettes and plum puddings and sang carols and songs. There was even a documented case of soldiers from opposing sides playing soccer with each other. Some soldiers used this short-lived ceasefire for a more somber task, the retrieval of bodies of fellow soldiers who had fallen in no man's land. Truly today, Christmas is part of the greatest story ever told, a story that brings life and salvation. Who is this child that even causes wars to cease? I'm going to ask you to sing now. When the world wonders, what child is this? The church responds.
1: Is this is Christ the King, whom shepherds, God, and angels sing. Is this is the
0: The story is so familiar and culturally ingrained that many of the youngest among us can tell a good portion of this story. And that may be part of the real issue here, at least for me. What could I say that could make a difference? Or how can I say something clever about a story that you know as well as I do? I'll take my comfort from C.S. Lewis who said, we don't need to be told new ideas so much as we need to be reminded of old truths. The significance of these old truths are rooted not so much in what happened, but in how and why. So let's unpack it a bit. I wonder, too, what child is this? A child who is vulnerable and in a manger, who needs a mother to feed and bathe him, and an earthly father to protect and mentor him. And yet, as our Gospel writer proclaims, he was before all things. In fact, in the beginning, with God. John further says all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's quite a contrast. Jesus comes into the world as millions of children before and since. Yet somehow shepherds, angels, and kings are able to find him in an obscure ox's stall in the little town of Bethlehem. Archbishop Miguel Ochoa of Brazil said at the Revive Conference in Chicago we have become rather casual about the Word of God. It's full of miracles and wonders, and week after week, we casually respond to the gospel, thanks be to God. We may read in our homes as if we're reading the newspaper, engaged with the text, but devoid of the wonder of the Word of God that the Word can evoke when it's opened to us by the Holy Spirit. The Archbishop says in a very non-American way, no, no, no. He encourages us to say, thanks be to God and hallelujah. It's not very American, and it's certainly not very Anglican to be so emotional. We Westerners like to live in our heads, often very disconnected from our emotions. And the wonder of this story is sometimes marginalized by our need for things to be neat and tidy. The irony of this humble birth is that it is in a place reserved for animals. A king born in an outbuilding, meant for cattle to feed and the very poorest of travelers who would stay with their animals, barely out of the elements. This is not how kings are generally born. It is not simply unusual. It borders on preposterous. I believe that this is meant to show the difference between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. The gospel is traditionally showing a world that is upside down from the world's understandings. Our familiarity with this story can lead us to miss that this is the beginning of one of the most extraordinary stories ever told. It is anything but neat and tidy. Joseph and Mary were surely numb with worry and wonder, barely protected from the elements, and with a deep uncertainty about what was to come, not to mention exhaustion from the long journey that they had taken and the challenges of childbirth in a barn. No, this is anything but neat and tidy even mary and joseph had to wonder what child
1: is this this, this is Christ the king whom she-
0: I'd like to walk you through part of the story and some of the prophecies. We read that an angel came to Mary and told her what was to come to pass. Still, the most amazing thing to me about this story was her yes. It must have been extraordinarily confusing. She said, "Let it to be. Let it be to me according to your word." She must have known, for her to be betrothed to Joseph and have another's baby could be a death sentence. Surely she knew this. Then an angel appeared to Joseph. Scripture says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid, and take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins <clears throat> you may remember that an angel told them both to call him Jesus very interesting to me god does not leave us alone i tell my participants that we're seeing vocational ministry that god does not usually allow us to see around the corners he gives you a little part of the direction and he expects us to begin to walk in it. This is exactly what all the players in this story did. God did send messengers to encourage them into their next steps in this profound ministry that they were about to embark on. They acted in faith that God would be with them, even though they did not know the entire story. This is very important to remember as we look at their lives and ours. In the season of Advent, we're also given prophecy after prophecy, a three-year cycle of prophecies of Jesus. As we say every week in the Creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who has spoken through the prophets. In Jeremiah, we hear, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, He will do what is just and right in the land. In Malachi we hear, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. In Zephaniah, the Lord, the king of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. In Micah we hear, But you, O Bethlehem, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, and he shall be their peace. And in some of the more memorable prophecies in Isaiah, the Lord will give you a sign, Behold, a woman shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And then comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. And then there will be a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, for he will feed his flock like a shepherd. Joy to the world that the Lord has come, and let's not forget, he will come again. When the world wonders what child is this, the church responds.
1: This, this is Christ. Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. will angel bring him up, the babe, the Son of men.
0: As we continue with the story, the Bible goes on to say An angel of the Lord said to the shepherds, Again, be not afraid. Easier said than done. They are out on a seemingly typical night watching their flock, and an angel came to them. What would it be like for you if an angel came to your place of employment and said, Be not afraid, have tidings of great joy. You will find a baby who is Christ the Lord. I want to remind all of us that that Christ was not Jesus' name, it was his title, a very specific one. If you miss this part of the story, you miss why they were, partly why they were being told not to be afraid. They were told they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, and he is the anointed one. In other words, the Messiah and a king. Shepherds are not generally summoned to kings by angels. As they were thinking, what does this mean? A child who is a king and a savior in an outbuild building with animals and the poorest of travelers? Then it says suddenly there was a burst of sound and a whole host of heavenly beings began to sing, glory to God in the highest. Can you imagine what you might be thinking at this point? Keep thinking of yourself at work and not of the romanticized vision we kind of hold in our minds about what this might have been like. Scripture is a little more ruddy, a little more earthy. These shepherds, and out of the hindsight of a 2,000-year worshiping community, it was God suddenly and radically breaking into their world, and at the very least, it had to be a bit terrifying and more than a little disorienting. However, they must have wondered as well, what child is this? When the world wonders what child is this, the church now responds.
1: Christ the King, whom shepherds guard, and angels sing, His will bring him, Lord, the, babe, the son of man.
0: <clears throat> The story gets more and more unlikely. It really does. The Psalm says. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. The story goes on to talk about the Magi, academics from royal courts in the east. They made their way following a star to a place where he lay. How does this happen? They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They and their royal entourage even stopped to see the king of Judea, Herod, also known as Herod the Great. Or, as such, king of the Jews. Can you imagine Herod's reaction to the magi who are asking him, "Where's the king of the Jews?" <laughs> We've all seen a lot of stories about kings. Often this kind of challenge does not go unmet. Imagine that a member of, the royal, of a royal court from a foreign country where another king, is there another king in your dominion? This is not an everyday occurrence. I can be pretty sure that Herod was never before or asked again, I've heard there's another king in the area. Have you seen him? Herod, oddly enough, did not take this lightly. He did not say, who are these crackpots? Just throw them in the clink, you know. He takes them very seriously. This, to me, again, is a surprise in this story. He must have suspected some truth in what he said. So he calls his chief priests and advisors to tell him where this new king was to be born. They inquired and they studied and then they verified in Bethlehem, Your Majesty. Do you remember how disturbed Herod was? He very cunningly asked the Magi to come back and tell him where he was so he could worship him too. The truth is he planned to kill him so that he would not have a rival to his Roman authority. So the Magi went on to make their way And they did find Jesus, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Let's not miss this subtle point. The magi knew he was a king when they saw him, but they knew what royal court was like. And yet in a manger, in an ox's stall, they bowed down and worshipped the king of kings as an infant. Through prophecies, the testimony of Herod's own chief priests and the star, They clearly knew what they were witnessing. When they see Jesus, they seem to be overwhelmed. They offer lavish gifts and kneel before this child. They've traveled nearly 800 miles, three or four-month journey, to see this thing which had come to pass, a babe who is king, lying in a manger. Even so, when the world wonders what child is this, the magi responded.
1: This is Christ the King Whom shepherds guard and angels sing Haste, haste! will bring him, Lord The babe, the son of Mary Then an angel
0: appears again. Are you noticing a theme here? God is not leaving his people alone. At these critical junctures, he sends a messenger. He tells the Magi, Herod means to harm the child, go back another way. Herod was so angry that the Magi did not disclose the location that he devised a plan to kill all children in Bethlehem under two years of age so they would have no rival in his kingdom. On the 28th of December, the church recognizes this event with the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Even the ungodly Herod knew this child was a king, or at least that he would be perceived as a king. How are we to understand this first advent? Well, partly we know that some people saw it firsthand. The shepherds saw it, the magi saw it, and then faithful Simeon the priest and Anna the prophet, who were in fact waiting to see the Savior, saw him. How did Simeon know that child Jesus was the Savior? The Gospel of Luke says, Inspired by this Spirit, he came into the temple when Jesus arrived with his parents and said, Lord, let now thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen the Savior, the glory of your people Israel. Later on, an angel then comes to Joseph and says, Rise and take the child to Egypt. God is giving them what they need, even as they need it. So they flee and stay for a time in Egypt, and after some time, an angel again comes to Joseph, this time in a dream, and says, those who sought the child's life are dead. So on the word of the angel, Joseph packs up his family, and Jesus was brought back to Israel to continue maturing in his ministry. This is so affirming to me. God foretold, God acted, and God communicated his actions to his people, and he protected them in the process. God is in control. He is acting, and he is communicating with his people. This is also true today. God spoke through his scriptures, through angels, and his people. The scripture says that those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We need to remember that we walk in that light. We sing the hymn, I want to walk as a child of light. I want to follow Jesus. We also remember that he will come again. We sang a few weeks ago, At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him King of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure we shall call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. In the last stanza of that hymn we sang, Christians, this Lord Jesus shall return again with his Father's glory or the earth to reign. God broke into the world as a helpless child. He will return again as a victorious king. Are we ready? This wild but beautiful story is not yet done, and we are players in it. This frail child became a man who turned Judea and Galilee on its head. He went about healing and curing all sorts of diseases. He told all who would listen about the kingdom of God. God allowed him to be crucified, that we might be saved. He sent 12 men to do what he did and more. Their lives were transformed by the Holy Spirit, so much so that in Acts 17, the apostles were accused of turning the world upside down. We are those witnesses today. Today, we look to the past and to the future. The baby reminds us that God broke into the world and God will make it known. The season of Advent reminds us that He will come again. And every week in our liturgy, we reaffirm Christ will come again. As I said, the Sunday after Christmas is a time for pondering, praising, and proclaiming. We have looked at this remarkable story, and now what? Last week, you heard the Browns sing. Christina Rossetti's beautiful poem, In the Bleak Midwinter. My favorite stanza from that poem says, Our God, heaven cannot hold him, Nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away When he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, A stable place sufficed. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Today we acknowledge our God and King as we sing.
1: This, this is Christ the King Whom shepherds God and angels sing this, this will bring him law The babe, the son of Mary
0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.